Happy Halloween, everyone. As promised, we are coming to you this Tuesday, October 31st, for the Halloween bonus we promised you with Rocky Mountain Paranormal Research Society members Brian Bonner and Bob Lewis. In our last episode, Brian and Bob were telling us all about movies that were based on a true story and their investigations to these claims. We were lucky to hear in greater detail how Colorado's very own haunts along the Front Range have been huge influences on some of the most well-known horror films of our time. Make sure to stick around to also hear about Brian's Holy Grail that was recently filmed on set in a movie. It's all happening right here on Deep Spinach. It turns out the the people who wrote Poltergeist took that idea from Cheeseman Park. So it is directly connected. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. There's actually another one connected to Cheeseman Park. There was a house uh, that was just on the north side of Cheeseman Park. It was called the uh, the Treat Rogers Mansion. It's not there anymore. They tore it down to make a parking lot for an apartment complex. But if you've ever seen the horror movie The Changeling uh, with George C. Scott, that story was lifted almost exactly from the story that the guy told about that house. Hmm. Turns out we've been able to debunk most of that story. We <laughs> and other historians, he was making up a lot of tall tales, but this house right near Cheeseman Park did inspire... Uh, what I consider one of the best horror movies. Okay, put yep. that on our movie list, Jay. Yeah, it's right. called The Changeling. Changeling. Movie Changeling. night. The Changeling. Hey, Brian, do you remember right. what year that was? Was that uh, early 80s? Um, it was 1980. 1980, there we go. So have you guys heard of this road in Thornton that is supposedly the mo- one of the most haunted areas in, in the U.S.? Yep, Riverdale we, Road. Uh, we have. Uh, honestly, it, Yep, I'm, it's called Riverdale Road. I am within short driving distance of it right now. Oh, go ahead, Bob. So I, I was just going to say, we've not really had the opportunity to investigate there. We've collected a bunch of the stories. We know, and, and for people listening, this place does have kind of every story. They've got uh, phantom dogs, phantom hitchhikers. There was a, um, a house that was rumored to be a gateway to hell. There's a phantom Camaro that supposedly drives this road. They've got all these stories, like every story that you've heard about a road collects in this one place. The problem that we've found is we have not figured out a good way to actually investigate that properly. Part of it is just it's a long stretch of road and it's outside. So controlling circumstances and looking into it is hard enough just to begin with. Another problem is one thing that we have confirmed is absolutely true is a lot of people do get killed on that road, more than usual. But it's not necessarily because of any ghosts. Right. It's because there's a lot of drunk teenagers who drive the road looking for ghosts, and it's a dark, <laughs> windy road. <laughs> and they, they tend yeah. to, to crash and kill themselves or, or people walking the road. Oh, no. Right. So we have not uh, yet developed a safe plan of being able to look into it without worrying about getting creamed by some drunk teenager looking for the ghost. <laughs> I'm sorry, because That's... Jason and I really were, I, I said to him, we should go check this out, but, you know, we could end up... When, yeah, when you, <laughs> when you mentioned the death part, I was like, okay, hang on a second. <laughs> now, Maybe. I will say, I'm not actually afraid to drive the road. You gotta, you gotta watch out, you gotta be careful, it's yeah. a little bit sketchier than a lot of roads, but I'm not actually afraid to drive it. I just don't want to park the car and wander around in the dark <laughs> as right. a pedestrian on that road. <laughs> well, yeah, I know that they've had at least two, maybe three deaths on it this year. Oh, no. It's, it's 
And it seems to have been kind of a similar case where it was probably people looking for the ghosts and not really paying attention and maybe driving too fast. Yeah. It's kind of so like 66 we and... So sobriety helps in any paranormal <laughs> but especially there, I think. I think we should still go. Yeah. Jason, I think we should still go. <laughs> we'll just drive. Yeah. I'd love to come up with a good way of doing it, too. I It's it's on my to-do list. I just haven't figured out the, the right way to be able to actually collect good data. You want to talk about the book? I, I, mean, I would want to know, like, how did you decide what stories to put in there? And <laughs> Well, yeah, that, I, I that's... Explain that one, yeah. So it started with, uh, we were sort of talking, this was around 2021, and sort of everything's just starting to reopen and we're trying to get back to things after everything had been shut down. We were saying, what things should we do? And one of the ideas we said was, let's write a book of some of the stuff we've done in the past. Originally, that was one book. And then as we started to outline it and started to write it, we quickly realized this is not one book. If this is one book, it's going to be thousands of pages long. So we said, okay, we're going to do a series of books. So this is volume one. Volumes two, three, four will be coming probably about one a year for the next couple of years. In terms of choosing which ones, we sort of sat down with all of the case files and we did not present, at first we were going to present them just in chronological order. But then we've found that over the years, there have been times when we get a bunch of really exciting ones in a row and then a bunch of kind of boring ones in a row. And some of them overlap in terms of when they started and stopped. So chronological just didn't make a lot of sense. So we said, okay, let's just try to pick X number of sort of public places, hotels and restaurants and things, X number of private cases, and X number of some of the just other weird stuff that we've done, experiments and media analyses and things, and try to collect some so that every book... We want to put even the ones where nothing really happened. Not that they're boring, but they're shorter and nothing really happened. But we also wanted to have some of the really exciting ones, so we try to shuffle them all up so it's sort of a, a textured reading experience. So we just tried to pick a collection for each volume that keeps it interesting throughout. So this, this volume one ends up being about 25, 24, 25 of our sort of proper investigations along with a couple of things where we've just analyzed things from the media and a couple of experiments that we've done and some other stuff. Okay, and that is Case Files of the Rocky Mountain Paranormal Research Society, Volume 1. Yep. And that you can, uh, we'll drop a link for that in the, the, uh, to the Amazon. Perfect. And it's, and uh, it's can... published by uh, Polymath Press, which is my own new publishing house. Okay, and so okay. Get it, uh, so they can get it direct. Polymathpress.com. Yeah, you can get it direct okay. at polymathpress.com. Right. Or Amazon's got it, Barnes & Noble, you can order it mm -hmm. in any okay. wherever books are sold. All right. So, uh, Brian, do you want to talk about the other uh, stuff that we do? So maybe. Let's see. Um, <laughs> we collect projects. Rocky Mountain Paranormal, which is available at RockyMountainParanormal.com. Uh, we also have a reasonably uh, weekly... <laughs> Weekly-ish. Uh, podcast. Weekly-ish. <laughs> we know reasonably uh, weekly. <laughs> uh, it is a podcast based on all things horror and spooky... Uh, we tend to uh, in investigate. Yeah, we tend to in interview people from all aspects of horror. So producers, directors, special effects artists, actors, musicians, authors, uh, 
What have I missed? The occasional academic or historian. Magicians. Magicians. Mm -hmm. Just anyone who conceivably has something to do with creepier horror-related things. And that is available at doyoulikescarymovies.com. Okay. I'm I'm still flabbergasted we got that domain name. (laughs) (laughs) Have you had the chance to speak with... uh, He's a, a, a Ouija board expert that has been on on location with several movies he lives in denver Jay, do you yeah know i know who you're talking about i don't know him well i do know him uh, yeah. and uh the room that i'm currently sitting in right now has i think at last count over 80 ouija boards in it so uh do you I, think I am that there's anything collector. really to fear with ouija boards If there was, I would be in some serious (laughs) trouble. Uh, I I love the history. I love the artwork. Uh, It's just, you know, a huge part of paranormal and horror. Um, So I've kind of become a a big collector of them. And yeah, Mm -hmm. if there was, there's a lot of claims out there people make of, you know, if you, if you even look at one, you're, you're going to be cursed. Well, I would have some serious problems if that was the case. And um, in addition to that, I would just add that uh, if you're skeptical of them, they're just wood or cardboard. If you're a believer in them, the thinking seems to be by the people who uh, believe in such things that they're just an instrument and sort of, sort of like a telephone. You're only going to get in trouble if you call the wrong people. So... I would not be afraid of just a Ouija board. If you're a believer, I wouldn't call on the wrong things. (laughs) We Mm. might as an experiment because we like to do stupid things as experiments, but (laughs) yeah, we, we take a great interest in in Ouija boards and things like this. And we, 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 I mean, what do you make of the, these uh, rules? I guess, you know, you don't, you're not supposed to use it alone. You're also supposed to say goodbye Those rules vary from person (laughs) to person and lore to lore. And I I think they, just like everything else, uh, have been telephone gamed into existence from some basic things. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at the original instructions, basically it just tells you to set them on your knees. Has nothing to do with the table. uh, Between two people and... I mean, effectively, the first one was a a very unique way that people of the time could get a man and a woman together and they could almost touch each other in public. <laughs> you know, they were knee to knee. They're holding the same thing. It was it was kind of, you know, really racy to do this kind of a thing. I, I do think that's part of what explains its early popularity. It really was. <laughs> and, you know, because of... Well, multiple things. Uh, Hollywood is a huge culprit, but also because it is supposedly a form of divination, almost every religion out there says, don't do that. Mm -hmm. So it becomes kind of a taboo thing where you're not allowed to even look at it or talk about it. And when Parker Brothers is selling it in your local toy store, that kind of freaks out the locals. So... (laughs) That's, I think, how it got where it is. I think so the exorcist played a big oh. part in that as well. That's true. 
And I was going to ask if either one of you have are planning or have already seen the new Exorcist film. Um, we we have, and um, I'm I'm such a fan of the original Exorcist that I mm-hmm. I can't look past the the differences and enjoy the new one. If yeah. it wasn't called The Exorcist, I probably would have liked it. But I just I can't mm-hmm. look past the differences. It's not what I wanted. <laughs> Yeah, they needed well, to not offer the fan service and just call it another movie, and it would have been fine. It would have been, well, I'll, I'll tell you what I told the people from the studio. If you cut every mention of The Exorcist out of the film and cut out a bunch of the really horrific CG that they included in it, they'd have a, mm-hmm. a really good holiday film. Oh, really? no. Well, no, I, I would, I, I could see that because look at Poltergeist, and then they redid, they remade Poltergeist, and no, no, yeah, just, just can't, yeah. can't touch that one. Certain, certain films, you just don't, you just don't. <laughs> but what I, I think needs to happen here is Jason and I should go get a Ouija board or make one, right? And you guys could. I thought you did film us. I, I tried, but it fell apart. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> so go over to we, Walmart and buy one. <laughs> yeah, but I thought it would be more they authentic if we if we actually made one, and we could go over to Riverdale, and you guys could film to see if anything happens, and hope that we all do not perish while trying <laughs> to do this. We will be sitting inside the car with the cameras. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, behind all that steel. <laughs> yes, we will risk our lives, won't we, Jay? We will do it. <laughs> we'll take all the risk. The things we do for, yeah, a podcast. <laughs> right. I, I think we could just say the things we do because I get it. We've done. Yeah. We've put ourselves in some weird situations. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And the one place that I would love to to check out is the old sugar mill in Longmont. But apparently it's filled with asbestos and it literally is falling down. So they don't allow Yeah, it. it's a very, very eerie, creepy place. Even during the day, a lot of people drive by it and just like, uh, just creepy. Um, that's, that's not one that we've done. We should add that to our uh, to-do list. Yeah, if, you're ever, if you're ever up near Longmont, we have, check out the sugar mill, the abandoned sugar mill. Such a laundry list of of places we haven't been but that's the problem i mean even in just colorado we've been doing this for this long and And we've been to hundreds of places yeah and we're just scraping the surface there is so much that is available just here that we haven't done and then we have all the fun private cases too so But I'll, I'll tell you yeah. what, I will, uh, I'll wear a respirator and go to an asbestos place if that's what it takes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. I think I also read something about a cave that was here. It was like the highest cave, one of the highest caves in uh, the U.S. that is like 750 feet deep. And supposedly they've found many, many skeletons and remains and they believe it's haunted. I don't know if you've heard of that or been there. We, we've done an investigation at Cave of the Winds, but that's not that one. But we have no. been in caves. I'm trying to think of they which cave that done. might be. I can't think I, of I, I don't no think idea. I know that one. I'll have to hmm. look that up. All right, I'm going to have to find it and send it to you guys. Yeah if, yeah, if you find it, send it along because 
we'll, we've but done think, caves yeah. before. We'll do it again. I think there's something there's something about caves just that naturally are are can be oh, yeah. frightening. They are regardless they, of whether it's haunted or not. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. They're they're naturally sort of creepy places, so you can psychologically do all kinds of things. They're also disorienting places because you have not seen that kind of dark or that kind of, or mm-hmm. the way the sound carries in strange ways. It'll mess with your head in all kinds of ways just, just on account of what it is and where it is. Brian, it looks like you've got some... You have, a sh- <laughs> you have show and tell now. What it's show and this, tell time. This relic. So, uh, this is completely paranormal yet not. Um... <laughs> So it sounds like at least one of you is up on your Catholicism. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, okay. mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, back in the 1940s in Italy, there was a Franciscan friar who was making all of these paranormal claims. He was levitating. He was possessed. He was having visions. He was... The stigmata. His claims were so extreme. Stigmata? That the, the church kicked him out. They were like, no, no, this is enough. Well, the locals <laughs> loved the man so much, they got him back. And he started getting exactly stigmata. He, that was his big claim to fame. And he eventually started being known as the paranormal padre and became mm-hmm. sort of a... Uh, a local road show, I guess, because people would just, they would come from the around the world to, to see him, to listen to him. And, and he's been quite popular uh, recently as well. A lot of people are, are talking about his, his you, work and his life. Thank you, Mr. LaBeouf. <laughs> uh, but uh, back in the 40s, there was a... U.S. Uh, military chaplain that was in Italy for a while, and he befriended this padre. And when his time was over and he was coming back to the U.S., he decided that, or this padre decided he wanted to give him something to remember him by. So he took, and if you've been into any big Catholic church, they've got this big red book up at the front, uh, the Missal Romanum, which has all the rites and rituals and songs, etc. in it. So the Padre took the one from his church that he'd been using and gave it to this this clergyman. Well, and it's worth noting, back, because he had the stigmata, it's, it's also the one that has bloodstains and everything around. All over, right. <laughs> so mm-hmm. when the, um, the clergyman got back to the U.S., he didn't know what to do with it, so he donated it to his church. And the church held on to it for quite some time until a family had uh, donated a lot of money to have a new, I believe, wing put onto the church. And when you donate a lot of money to the Catholic Church, they tend to give you things. So they said, well, we got this old book from this guy in Italy. We'll let you have it. And several decades later, this had been sitting in a family's house for you know, decades because they donated the money, the elders of the family pass on and the children get there and go, I don't know. It's an old book. Donate it to Goodwill. So Goodwill puts up an auction online for this book. And I'm like, 
I wonder if it's legitimate because it really didn't. It had pictures of some of the lineage that had been written inside of the book. It was just enough to kind of give me a hint, and I was like, for the price, I'm going to risk it. So this was just after that Padre had been canonized. So he is now St. Pio. And sure Padre enough... P- Padre Pio? Padre Pio. Padre Pio. You- oh, my... Yep. Now St. Pio. <laughs> well... Wow. The listeners can't see it, but oh. this behemoth of a book that we oh, have here. Holy wow. That is Padre Pio's Missa Romanum from his church no. that led on, so that makes it a first-class Catholic relic. Yes, um, it does. So, here, the blood of a saint. Uh, maybe that's why these Ouija boards aren't working right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, You're protected. <laughs> I was going to say, what, what I would, okay, there probably isn't any way that you would bring that to Greeley, is there? <laughs> probably not. I understand. Are, I understand. Are you going to be there? I mean, yes, be there I, and I might make it happen because I actually have to take it on a road trip tomorrow. Yeah, it's going to be on a film set tomorrow because uh, <laughs> oh one kidding. of the people involved is a is a big uh, fan of yep. Padre This Pio. is the first time it's left my house in like ten years. Yeah, what it, I it doesn't get out very do. often. It's, what it's, I it's wouldn't well do <laughs> because I oh my I can't even because I would I honestly honestly I would bring a a fabric a cloth or something just to turn it into a third class relic. I was about to say, if you touch it, you're a third-class relic. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Which I believe we the just... box that I've been holding it on for the past ten years, I could probably auction off at this point. <laughs> I, I, I can't even tell you what that would. I mean, you. Oh, I wow. I'm. I literally. I feel like I have to go kneel somewhere. I don't. <laughs> Yeah, I've got, uh, I've got a weird collection too, but that's the one that I am. Of all the stuff Brian has, that's the one I am most jealous of. Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll yeah, yeah. I'll throw in one more just for just for extra credit. Yeah, please do, please do. So back in the mid 1800s, Bob knows where I'm going with this. Um, <laughs> there were these sisters in New York, three of them. Now, now I know the where, where you're going. Sisters. And when the Fox sisters uh, may or may not have uh, falsely claimed things, uh, they (laughs) invented the seance. They invented uh, a lot of what goes around the seance. So they were doing table tipping. They were doing wrapping. They were doing things like that. Uh, But they became so popular that the two younger sisters, uh, Katie and Marie, uh, toured the world, and they eventually opened up their own encampment in New York. It's now called Lilydale, and it's still there today. You can go have your palms read or your all that stuff. Not not well, back quite in as 1904, what it used to be, but no. Back in 1904, they uh, re-outfitted their main um, building. And got new furniture. Well, uh, in 1904, uh, this table right here was one of the seance tables. Wow. So that's a 1904 Lily no Dale's seance table. 
No way. Also, I would pay money to come to your house and check out what you have. <laughs> yeah, <I'm>, right. <laughs> We need a we need a tour at least, you know. Well, oh my lord! I can't, I can't get to them, but up above where the computer is here, there's a bunch of casket pieces from Cheeseman Park. No, no. You know, okay, I'm gonna reveal oh, yeah. something. And here, I'll, I'll counteract the Padre Pio piece. I also have a piece. It's a little decorative thing that was in the night or in the house the night the DeFeo murders took place. No, that's the, the no. Amityville house. Mm. And now Bob and me okay. will discuss the ownership of Charles Manson's beard. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we we do have little jars of Charles Manson's beard. No, you do not. No, for wow, me, you do not. You, no, I've, 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 okay. I've got a bridge pin off of his guitar. <laughs> yeah, we're di- we're gonna definitely need to arrange a, a tour. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that sounds like a, a good idea. Well, gentlemen, thanks so much for for joining us here on Deep Spinach, and thanks for um, having us. Yeah, love to have you back anytime. Share other favorite ghost stories, uh, new investigations. Absolutely, anything, anything Any, anytime. Sounds okay. good. Just awesome. Anytime you want, let us know. Okay, that's awesome. Thank you. All right, thanks a lot. Thanks. We hope you've enjoyed this special bonus Halloween episode from Deep Spinach. Special thanks to our guests, Brian and Bob. It was such a pleasure chatting with you about the investigations you've done and the countless special collector's items. We had so much fun. And listeners, if you'd like to take a peek at Padre Pio's Missile Romanum described in this episode, head on over to the Javi Media Network TikTok channel. And remember, some of the stories shared in this episode are greatly expanded in the book Case Files of the Rocky Mountain Paranormal Research Society, Volume 1, available from Polymath Press. Look for links to the book and other related projects from our guests in this episode's show notes. Have a pleasant and safe Halloween, everyone. See you Friday. Deep Spinach is a production of the Javi Media Network on the web at javimedia.net. Have a question or comment? Send us an email. Info at javimedia.net. You can listen to Deep Spinach on popular podcast platforms, including iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, and Pandora. Send us a postcard, artwork, photos of strange creatures caught on camera, or any other curiosity you can think of to Javi Media Network, P.O. Box 519, Mead, Colorado, 80542. And as always, thanks for listening. Javi Media.